You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 11, episode 15, The Artist Roundtable, part one. What does transcendence look like for a post-psychedelic artist and seeker? Or how does the notion of transcendence differ for the Jesus follower from other forms of transcendence? And is there a difference between manufactured transcendence and one brought about by genuine spiritual encounter? In this roundtable discussion, I bring together Canadian author, printmaker, and clothing designer, Josh Nadeau, New Zealand folk musician, author, and spiritual director, Strawn Coleman, and Kansas-based artist and writer, Ashley Land, to explore these questions. Due to its length, I've divided this conversation into two parts. And if you're a patron of the Makers and Mystics podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash makersandmystics for an early release of the concluding segment. I'm your host, Stephen Roach, and this is the Artist Roundtable, Ordinary and Existential, Part 1. Okay, my friends, I am so excited that we actually pulled this off with four time zones and a couple of continents for this Makers and Mystics Roundtable. We've got my good friend Josh Nadeau representing the West Coast of Canada, my good friend Strawn holding it down for New Zealand. My new friend Ashley holding it down for Kansas in the Midwest of the states. And of course, you guys all know I'm here in the South in North Carolina. But hey, let's start this thing right. A congratulations to us for finding a time zone that worked yes. for all of us. We did it, man. We've got a few mathematicians to calculate. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, listen, this season on the podcast, we've been talking about art and the urge for transcendence. And that's been such a broad topic, but we're coming to the close of this series. And I've talked with each of you individually or heard things that you've done on other podcasts, really respect your perspectives as artists, as well as spiritual thinkers. And, you know, these roundtable discussions are loose, unscripted, conversations with really no agenda other than let's come around a theme and see where the road gets us. So I'm just going to open it up like that and say, when you think about how the arts facilitate some of those deeper spiritual yearnings that we have as human beings, what's the first thing that kind of jumps up out of your mind? Ladies first, Ashley. <laughs> wow, that's a broad. I feel like there are so many, obviously, so many directions that that can go. I certainly feel as though as as an artist that creating is a, a really integral part of my life. And I feel unhealthy if I'm not able to be creating. Of course, at the moment, I'm in a slightly different season, having just had a baby seven months ago. <laughs> so there hasn't been a whole lot of creating going on for me at the moment. But I think <laughs> other than new uh -huh. life. Well, yes, obviously, obviously, yeah. Yeah. sorry. <laughs> that's pretty transcendent. <laughs> that's that's, that's very important, very important. But uh, I think the desire for like a foretaste of eternity is a very human and inherent human trait. And of course, God has planted eternity in the human heart. So I think it's very a very human thing to 
yearn for such. And of course, in my my life, my history, my journey, I sometimes sought to fulfill that desire in, in really unhealthy ways. And I don't know if we want to go off on that tangent just yet. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, my story was super into psychedelic drugs. It was psychedelic drugs were basically my my religion and took a long and winding road to come around to knowing Jesus Christ. Mm. And um, that also changed my my art a lot. I tend to call myself post psychedelic, which I think confuses a lot of Mm. people. One of a dear sister in Christ that I go to church with told me the other day that she had to confess that she actually thought I was an advocate for psychedelics <laughs> based on some of the things I said on social media and elsewhere. But um, I love that phrase, post-psychedelic. Why don't you tell us some about your background and what it was like for you going through the world of psychedelics as a spiritual quest? Yeah, so I was raised kind of the kind of Methodist <laughs> and uh, my parents tried, tried their best. <laughs> And but that's that's a whole other story. And I declared myself an atheist when I was 14, 15, I think. It just seemed it seemed edgy. It seemed intellectual. Um, it certainly shocked my parents, <laughs> you know, which was a plus at the time. And I continued on that path for quite some time. And then I eventually discovered mushrooms in college, and I just felt like it blew up in my mind. It was this whole new exotic world. Um, eventually that led to LSD and, you know, if mushrooms were fun and kind of like a party, like LSD was a serious, to me was a serious spiritual sacrament, almost like it was the way to God. I really believed that for a long time and things just progressively got darker and darker on that path. And there's, you know, plenty I could say about that and kind of the same as you were saying like exploring so many different religions so many different I had an aversion to Jesus but I was willing to entertain almost anything else (laughs) Uh, and finally came around to Jesus Christ and yeah I guess I use the phrase post-psychedelic because I do feel like psychedelic they were such a huge part of my life for so long that they did inform my aesthetic as an artist but i don't see that being redeemed without the work of jesus christ so i feel like he you know working through the holy spirit has integrated that aesthetic into my life and i can use it i don't know i still worry a little bit that i i get a little too trippy <laughs> with with my artistic <laughs> aesthetic but my hope and prayer is that it's all to the glory of god so i think trippy art definitely glorifies god that's that's just my personal sentiment but i i think the world needs more trippy art that glorifies mm. god oh, <laughs> i like that <laughs> The world is a pretty magical and unexplainable place. Even the most staunch naturalists, you bump into them, you'd be like, hey, does life totally make sense? Be like, no, obviously not. There are things that even in our naturalistic worldview bump up against the boundaries of what's explainable. And in that framework, then like, however you define trippy, like that's what's needed to help people begin to explain the unexplainable. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, for me, that's sort of what art does, isn't it? It's 
But the truth is, I think a lot of people walking around, they're sort of still pre-psychedelic, you know, they, they, there is a real um, disenchantment, I think, still in a, in a lot of people who are, I guess, wanting to, deep down, they know there's, that they're reaching for something, you know, they might, it might be sex, or it might be substance, it may be career or money, but the, the, without knowing it, there's this deep desire to get beyond what feels mundane or to at least see the world in beauty again. And I think mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time this last couple of years thinking about numbness and just the way numbness has really seeped in culturally um, with just overexposure to things. And we're almost so hyper-stimulated yeah. we're numb. And, um, man, I think, yeah, when I think of the transcendence of art, I kind of feel it like these signposts or icons that just kind of almost taunt someone into saying, it t- taunts someone sort of saying there is there is transcendence there is something else and before we can make sense of it we can feel it or we can perceive it or we can behold right. it whether that's art or song or writing and i mean i haven't done psychedelics um sounds like a pretty wild yeah. <laughs> right but i know the people who the people i do know who have been close in my life who have gone down that route have often always been deeply spiritually seeking and there's this like intuition of it in terms of like seeking a passageway into transcendence that is is easier i guess or is like a switch that we can flick but um yeah i i think to me like artists are almost all i mean i'm gonna stretch the metaphor here so i'm not i'm not trying to use your experience but in my mind i kind of feel like artists are almost all um you know post uh hallucinogenic in a sense that they're on the other side of transcendence peering back in whether that's love or that's an experience of peace or restedness or spirituality faith or homecoming in god and and almost kind of reflecting back from that purity back to the world these icons these images and so um you know augustine talks about being outside of ourselves you know i was outside of myself until i found you and i think all of our desires are searching all over the world for things and artists come along and just ask the question what if this what if this what if love what if rest what if peace what if this is the, the home that you're looking for and um we do it in strange ways in all kinds of ways but i think that 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 speaking to transcendence is what artists ourselves are looking for, but also often yeah, to culture. Yeah, that's, that really, that's really good. Um, I think that journey of like pre-in and then post-psychedelic sort of vibe is actually like a beautiful spiritual journey. Like it is actually the journey of the human heart maybe moving from anger or numbness through to desire spilling out everywhere to this finally, oh, I'm home, and it's actually none of those things that satisfied me. It's this transcendence. It's this this other, you know, that we might say is God. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. yeah. What you said about numbness, that makes me think of like, if there's, and I certainly don't want to romanticize psychedelic experiences. I had plenty of extremely dark experiences that I would never want to relive again. But if there is one thing that I could point to that I occasionally would feel nostalgic about, it was that sense of like absolute wonder to the point, almost like a stultifying point of being like, wow an orange like how have i never noticed this orange like and all the and just being like wow running water like wow i live in a you know but i think that's much better achieved in other ways but um yeah like you said there is a lack of enchantment and there's but that's a there's a very human uh innate desire for that Mm -hmm. just as like a um maybe like a through line to take it back and then all the way through would be, so when I think of like 
transcendent and art obviously my mind goes back to eden in the sense of like what you guys have both said what we are created for the imprint of the infinite upon us means that like we're always trying to fulfill and enjoy and embody that but i also think that like we're touching on aspects of like counterfeit transcendence or like cheap dollar store versions of transcendence whether it's money sex drugs power whatever it can be yeah. doom scrolling on instagram um <laughs> and it's the exact same thing that adam and eve were faced with right so you have the like you have the trees you have obedience you have the way that god offers them to enjoy and experience and grow and develop mm -hmm. which is life or you have the shortcut and i think that one of the things our culture is damned by and doomed for without the christian without true christian art or just beauty is settling for counterfeit transcendence across the board and so like it turns these good gifts of sex like strong like you said this is a signpost like good sex leads towards the giver of pleasure and so like all these things should be reorienting us but i think what we see in the world around us um like i've done psychedelics myself so i had a really bad i would go so far as to say demonic experience though it was that it was whatever we can get into it down the road i've had that as well yeah yeah i think there is this impulse the people who i know who are taking psychedelics they all tend to be looking for something that maybe used to exist right like we look at ancient myths and paganism and say hey like there's some earthiness there's some substance there's something tangible and embodied about it and christianity i think has say like modern western evangelicalism whatever has a disenchanted version of christianity that sells spirituality as method a how-to guide to be a good person without the magic without the substance without all of the deep mythos that's like it gives you goosebumps it wakes your soul up and then we wonder why the whole world around us is like hey you know what maybe i'm a witch Maybe I just need to feel something for the first time in my life. You guys are saying so much I want to comment on. You know, I'll start with this, Josh. You know, what you're describing reminds me of something I've said throughout this season on the podcast, which is the human heart is designed to be astonished. You know, and I think that when our need for reverence, when our need for wonder is kind of taken away with a rationalistic view or a moralistic view even, not that rationale or moral thinking is wrong in and of itself, but when it's divorced from that need for wonder, we begin searching for things in all the wrong places, so to speak, you know, and you you use the phrase a counterfeit transcendence, you know, and, and all throughout the season, we've been talking as well about the difference between a genuine transcendence and then escapism. Mm. And I think, you know, for many of us, escapism and transcendence get mixed up in our minds and we don't always see the difference. But I often think of it in terms of like transcendence is a moving toward, whereas escapism is a moving away from something, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think one unique thing that I think sets apart perhaps a, a Christian view of transcendence as opposed to maybe some other forms of transcendence that we encounter is that it 
doesn't involve an escape from, but it involves that moving toward. Mm. And um, I've been reading this book lately called Lost and Found. It's a memoir, reflections on grief, gratitude, and happiness. And I came across this line the other night, and I'm going to read it. The author is Catherine Scholes, and she said, it is remarkable how the ordinary and the existential are always stuck together. Yes. Like the pages in a book, so time-worn that the print has transferred from one to the other. Mm. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Yeah. The existential and the ordinary are always stuck together like the pages in a book, so time-worn that the print has transferred from one to the other. Yeah. And I think that is, and even though this author, she's not a believer so insofar as I know, but that idea is a very Christian concept that the existential and the ordinary are married together. And that's the incarnation right there. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, you guys got me fired up. Just like that overlap. So Chesterton says, like, the world is starving for, we're not starving for lack of wonders, plural S, we're starving for lack of wonder. That's good. And lots of these things are perspectives, right? And so you can take a glass of good scotch, which can be a very beautiful thing, or it can be a tool of escapism, right? right? To forget, to abandon, to betray. And I think that those are things that you we feel before we can uh, explain. And so I think we know when we are trying our best to perceive and enjoy the transcendent world around us, because we like I think transcendence and imminence go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. As you experience God's transcendence, like this is Jesus in the boat with Peter and they're fishing like casting it on the other side, they get a ton and they're like, whoa, 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 you are so close to us that we can see you for who you are and they just fall down and worship. And so we can feel that, but I think we also feel escapism, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you don't feel like life is beautiful at the end of a insert coping mechanism here, but at the end of like a good glass of whiskey with friends and good conversation, you do feel a new lust for life. Um, and so I think that that overlap of heaven and earth of like imminence and transcendence and how like there's wonders all around us. But do we have like the I don't want to make it too like mechanistic, but do we have the tools to actually wonder at what is beauty, beautiful around us? Yeah, that's good, man. It makes me think too, like about like commercialized trans- or manufactured transcendence. and I. I- I've reflected a lot on this lately in terms of the way that we we create church and that sometimes we can seek to manufacture transcendence in a way that it feels like we're seeking the the you know we're seeking the authentic when actually we're just creating experiences that are trying to like pulsate or heighten us um, and it's it's not always the same thing and um, what's a better way of explaining that maybe like seeing transcendence as descendence in a way and this is this to me is like what in incarnation is it's the invitation to like taste the tastiness of life and i think like i mean i um i have sort of this chronic health journey for forever and so i'm always doing these 
you know, sidewinding natural remedy diets, right? And they'll be like, I mean, at the moment, I'm like, no gluten, no sugar, no dairy, no starches, no carbohydrates, no alcohol, no caffeine. Yeah, yeah. But what I notice is that when you strip all that away, when you kind of go, uh, if you if you were to ever go, say, like two months without any kinds of sugar, including fruit, and then you're like out somewhere and someone cracks a banana like 10 <laughs> feet away, the smell of it is intense. It is like it f- you, the fumes, you know, it's like all you can smell is the, it's like, whoa. And I, I have tried at times to like nibble on a banana or an apple and I'm like blown away by its sweetness. And I think like when I think of transcendence as descendants, I think of that coming back into the sweetness and tastiness of life, not by adding mm-hmm. and manufacturing and building up to reach transcendence, but actually sinking lower, almost like in a, in a sense of humility into what life yeah. actually is so that we can taste it again. And I think for me, that's that sort of remedy to numbness is... I mean, I was reading a book just recently, and and the author, I can't remember, there was, there was some poetry in it, and they made something about the way that we lift our fork to our mouth, and it blew me away, just the way that they described this important sensation of lis- lifting sport fork to the mouth, and that was so incarnational to me. It made me stop and think about how beautiful it is, that moment between tasting and things, and I think, I think transcendence for me is, or especially art, is helping to lower the sugar palate of the world, you know, a numb world that yeah. is so overstimulated to lower it Let's down go. and to say, life is beautiful. Your existence, your skin, the way that sun rises without you even noticing it, this air you breathe, taste it, feel it. But to do that, we almost have to get rid of this manufactured transcendence, this hype that we're so used to, all this energy and stimulation and just yes. draw deep down. And for me, that's that's the incarnation, man. It's just profoundly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Makes me think of a couple of weeks after my baby was born. I remember I was my husband had to run into the store for something, and I was just sitting in the van, hold it and holding the baby. I had to nurse him because he was crying in the car seat. And I remember just this moment, like this epiphanic moment. I mean, it was just from the Holy Spirit, but I was holding my baby. I was just staring at him, and I just had a moment of like. Sometimes I I like to say, like, when I say, oh, my God, I mean it in the most reverent way possible. Like, I'm not using the name of the Lord in vain. This was a moment of, Mm. like, oh, my God. But I remember thinking, oh, my God, there really is a God. Like, God really exists (laughs) just looking at this baby. And um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to say, too, I... uh, I remember my my acid days, you know, at first I would do it with friends. And then as I got more obsessed with using it as, I mean, I thoroughly believed like this is my spiritual practice. This is my spiritual discipline. And I was just taking acid by myself all the time, which was incredibly mentally unhealthy. And it was such a such a stark contrast when years later, when I finally came around <laughs> to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ drew me in and like reading the Bible and learning about, I read that Dietrich Bonhoeffer book, Life Together, like learning about how closely we're called to live in proximity with other people, mourning when they mourn, rejoicing when they rejoice and being vulnerable. And it's like, it's ugly and it's messy and it's, and it's beautiful, but it's like that, that tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Whereas I was with acid, I was chasing this transcendence that it got to the, I mean, it got to the point where I was just so disconnected from reality, yet I thought I was scrambling up this mountain of transcendence and it's so disconnected from reality. And I remember 
Totally. About a year, yeah. About a year ago, I was uh, interviewing in preparation for another podcast. I was t- I talked to a bunch of old hippies who had like Jesus people who had become Christians. We're really into psychedelics in the sixties and have become Christians. And and one of them said to me, he was listening to someone. I think it was Russell Brand, which I don't even know if Russell Brand is into psychedelics, but. He was talking, Russell Brand was talking about various new age practices that he, you know, does and how he, he's, he's kind of just going on about what a, how it's made him a more patient person. It's made him a better person. It's made him, you know, and the, the guy I was interviewing said, you know, like, that's all well and good. But he said, all I could think while listening to this person was like, dude, who are you accountable to? Mm. You know, like, who are you? And I think that's, that's the gist of, you know, when I reflect on my, for a years long for a into psychedelics like mm-hmm. i thought i was acquiring all this knowledge acquiring all this wisdom and that's why it totally blew my mind and it still blows my mind to read that verse from colossians about how all knowledge and mysteries like are contained in christ essentially i'm paraphrasing but, mm-hmm. and i think that is the essence of christianity and the incarnation is that the imminence and transcendence so good Ashley, when you're talking about just looking at your child and it giving you this experience of, oh my God, it just struck me. I was like, wow, she was looking at one of the smallest, humblest, most needy things in existence, a child. And by meditating on this humble, meek child, you had an experience of the transcendent of the infinite of God himself in that. And I I love the picture that that paints that by looking, you know, the meek inherit the earth. It's like by looking at the smallness, we see the expansiveness. And I wanted to comment as well on something that you said, Strawn, you were, when you were talking about, you know, this diet that you've been on and how it heightened just the smell of the banana. That was, that was such a beautiful picture to me because I began to think a healthy aestheticism. Now, I know that there are some very unhealthy religious forms of asceticism. I think, you know, uh, we've, we've probably all experienced that when we're trying to fast our way toward God or, you know, to get God's approval or, or some of those toxic forms of religion. However, I think that there is a healthy form of asceticism that the mystics knew about. And when we experience a healthy asceticism such as fasting, it's not for the purpose of negation or of lack or to prove ourselves, but it cleanses us to the point that it gives us a clarity that it sensitizes our spirit, that we can begin to recognize the abundance. So it's almost like in the same way of what Ashley was talking about, looking at this little child, she has an experience of the infinite of God. In the same way, when we give ourselves to some of these spiritual practices or even just um, you know times of fasting or whatever it may be, setting ourselves apart, it positions us or it postures us to experience a heightened sensitivity. And I think that's uh, that's the paradox that I love in the in the way of Jesus. So good. Yeah. Uh, like just to hop in on that, because the fasting, feasting uh, structure is so key in Christianity. 
and you either like the the abuses of it are when people go too far or yes on either side or just make christianity one or the other right right and so like the liturgical calendar is a beautiful way to structure your life if you want to just like begin to teach your body what fasting and feasting looks like and then so go like you are your body and so goes your soul with that and you can teach your soul what fasting and feasting looks like because there is a time strong we hope and pray that you can just so i did a fast with my wife she has some health stuff i have some health stuff and so for three months we were off sugar and i remember when i had my first strawberry it was the same thing it was like euphoria it was like oh this is the first real piece of food i've eaten in months yeah. <laughs> but that's why we fast so we are prepared for a feast and if you bring one mindset like if you bring a somber sackcloth and ash mindset to a wedding you're an insane person <laughs> but if you bring the joy and jubilee of wedding wedded bliss like ma holy matrimony to a funeral you're also an insane person and so like both are good in their season and i yes. think liturgies and structures and rhythms and like for me rules and guide lines guide posts are what allow me to experience like because sorry for ranting but you just take again all of the cheap ways to fast but they're not eating real food it's just settling for shake shack on the way home right be like oh yeah that's a good meal that's really gonna satisfy me <laughs> and then like 45 minutes later everyone pays the price and so like <laughs> i think that culturally what we need we have gone so far like you do you it's okay that we've just forgotten the beauty of discipline and structure and judgment. Like you are not okay where you are at. You do need to grow and develop. You do have rebellion in you that needs to be constrained. And as you do that, as you fast, you are preparing for a feast of goodness. The time when feasting doesn't end is like the life to come. And that's what we look forward to. And so I love that like artistic structure to like how I perceive what the artist does. Cause I think strong, you're right. Part of what we do is we tell people it's good to fast. It's okay not to constantly be consuming things all the time. And then when we give them something to consume, it's a lot better than like a, a frozen microwavable meal. It's like a steak dinner with a glass of whiskey. Yeah, I might be straining the analogy a little bit thinking of this, but I, I was thinking of fasting and feasting in terms of creating artwork. And I don't know about you all, but creating art for me is not like constant, a constant state of bliss. Like there is tedium to it. And there is uh, <laughs> like, I, I, I yep. like to do really intricate details. And I remember the last drawing that I was working on that I had to abandon like a year ago and haven't been able to get back to yet. I was making these like this mandala basically of teeny tiny dots with a mechanical pencil. And I got about, you know, just like a third of the way into it. And I was like, why did I do this to myself? And But it's that idea of like going through that tedium in the service of creating a greater effect which is the feasting. Discipline is freedom. That's what all the greats say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that parallel between, you know, drawing parallel between fasting and discipline because discipline does feel like one of those things that costs a lot, you know, and it does cost a lot. And yet, yeah, you're right. It's a great way. I love that, actually. It's a beautiful way to see it.
Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Music for this episode is provided by Somewhere at Sea. We'll publish the concluding segment of this conversation next Tuesday. And as I mentioned in the beginning, if you're a patron of the podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash makersandmystics and listen to the conclusion today. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art.